Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Travis Decker from Eglin Air Force Base, and today I have the distinct privilege of talking to my dear friend, Dr. Jeff Grantham of the Lexington Clinic. I had the privilege to train alongside Dr. Grantham while at the Stedman Clinic in Vail, watching him as he grew in both his technical and orthopedic analytical skills. He currently works in Kentucky as a partner of a dear mentor of many of ours, Dr. Kibler. While in Vail, Dr. Grantham took a special interest in analyzing primary patellar instability and the biomechanical properties of soft tissue restraints of patella. As a result, I'll be focusing on a biomechanical properties article within arthroscopy with a particular interest in the advancement of surgical techniques along with the expansion of surgical indications. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff, as I'm excited and eager to learn, reviewing your September 2020 arthroscopy article entitled, Metapatella Tibial Ligament Reconstruction Improves Patella Tracking When Combined with Metapatella Femoral Reconstruction, an in vivo kinematic study. Dr. Grantham, congratulations on all of your early career achievements and contributions, and welcome to the podcast. Dr. Decker, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate you uh, spending the time talking about patellar stability. Jeff, can you start us off with a brief description of your particular interest in lateral patellar instability and why, after years of research, we still haven't found the perfect soft tissue procedure when addressing this pathology? Absolutely. I, I, uh, I always find it interesting when there are uh, several surgical options for a particular problem. It shows that there's not necessarily a consensus on what the best way to treat that pathology is, and therefore probably more understandings needed. Um, the many anatomical and functional factors involved with patellar, uh, sorry, patellar stability in particular creates a bigger challenge. Uh, I think most would agree that you need to evaluate all these factors when evaluating these patients. Factors such as femoral version, knee valgus, the height of the patella, tibial tubercle alignment, and the depth of the groove, along with the dynamic strength of the quadriceps and gluteal muscles. So to address many of these issues, as surgeons, we choose to address soft tissue deficiencies and or make bony changes. For me, better understanding these soft tissue components has helped me make better personalized surgical decisions for my patients. It totally makes sense and that your comprehensive way of uh, evaluating the global picture of the knee for patellar instability is it makes a complex problem a little bit more narrowed. I watched as both you and Dr. Laprade dissected out the knees and kind of uh, went through that normal pyramid and pathway of trying to take something from uh, bench to bedside. And as you kind of explored the media patella soft tissue stabilizers, that there's tons of them. And we most often address the single one of the MPFL. Can you take us through why you and your research team elected to focus on the MPTL as an augment and briefly discuss the other additional structures that may play into the medial patellar instability? Absolutely. Now, the uh, medial side of the patella can easily become an acronym uh, jungle. Um, so, no, so there's several ligaments around along the medial retinaculum that have been identified. The MPFL is the most commonly discussed, but there's also the quad tendon femoral ligament, the patella tibial ligament, the patella meniscal ligament. Um, they all have subtle different vectors adding to the medial stability of the patella. Um, through the full knee range of motion. But Dr. Laprade has been able to show that the MPFL and MPTL were by far the strongest of the ligaments. And since these two ligaments can withstand the same load, it seems that they are likely to play greater and similar, um, sorry, at least greater roles um, than the other ligaments. This led to us looking great, um, deep, more deeply into the role of the MPTL. So with with that, that's why we focused this paper on the MPFL and P MPTL. We wanted to see how the patellar motion changed with, with knees that were deficient in these ligaments, and then once again, it, once they were reconstructed. And 
when you were analyzing this, going through your methods in classic fashion up in Vail, the biomechanical setup was quite robust and very precise. Can you tell us the benefit of evaluating patellar instability in both dynamic and static states and what your findings were for each? Absolutely. So we wanted to see how the MPFL and MPTL influenced patellar tracking through the full range of motion, but also wanted to see how it resisted lateral translation. Because clinically, that's for the most part what we look at is kind of a static apprehension test, as well as patients really are most uncomfortable with that lateral tilt and patellar dislocation. However, these ligaments also play a, a very big role in patellar tracking through the full range of motion, and therefore we divided the study up in those two two different um, testing states. And so we're able to use some some very um, advanced equipment using the Instron and uh, multi-pulley system to recreate and be very consistent with our testing protocol. So the main result of this study was that the MPFL is the greatest restraint to lateral translation. So if the ultimate outcome, if your ultimate goal is to keep the patella from dislocating, the MPFL is probably the primary choice for reconstruction. However, the MPFL and MPTL together best recreate a good patellar tracking through the full range of motion. The MPTL seems to supplement and be synergistic with the MPFL rather than being a very strong lateral restraint on its own. Now, a lot of that, it, the, the results made sense to me. Uh, and one thing that I can never quite understand with some of the specifics of the biomechanics studies is some of the synergistic effects that soft tissue can play with one another. From your results, it looks like the MPTL works synergistically with the MPFL to really optimize medial patellar stability. But can you explain why isolated MPTL reconstructions had no bearing on the biomechanics, but when it was coupled with MPFL reconstruction, it appeared to have an added benefit compared to MPFL reconstruction alone? Yeah. So if, if you look at the vector of the ligament, the MPTL um, comes just off the medial aspect of the patellar tendon and down about 10 to 15 degrees to, towards the tibia. So it's much more of a longitudinal pull, whereas the MPFL has a much greater vector from medial to, medial to lateral, much more of a horizontal vector going towards the adductor tubercle. So it makes sense just by looking at the uh, alignment of these ligaments, how the MPFL would restrain direct lateral translation much more than the MPTL. But it also kind of shows that the MPTL can have more of a downward force, which can be helpful in keeping that patella tracking appropriately in the trochlea. Um, therefore, the, it seems as though that the two together um, are very important with patellar tracking, whereas just statically alone, the MPFL will play the greater role. Yeah, additionally, with the, the angle at which the MPTL comes off of the patella, it also suggests why at higher degrees of knee flexion, it demonstrates its greatest influence. Now that all makes sense when looking at the anatomy behind the MPTL, why the recreation of it would have possibly more significant contributions in that afflection, and also understanding the vectors of the poles of these medial-sided soft tissue restraints. At the end of the day, though, we're always asking, well, how does this clinically relate to us? And so what's your biggest takeaway clinically from the study? And in other words, what are your indications specifically for the addition of MPTL? Because the way I'm looking at it is MPFL stronger, but if you add in MPFL and MPTL, 
it doesn't change the overall dynamics and if anything and it makes it stronger and more normal so why just not add an mptl on everyone and lastly what are your thoughts on adding this onto a patient with an open physis to help further prevent lateral patellar instability and improve tracking Ashley, so what i took away from this study is that reconstructing the mpfl alone is the best way to prevent further dislocation the two ligament repair or reconstruction is likely the best way to recreate patellar tracking. However, it's additional surgical time, additional anchors, um, and so therefore um, time and cost play a role in that we also don't have a great in vivo patellar tracking model to show the difference between a single ligament or dual ligament reconstruction. As well, we don't have long-term outcomes showing that improved patellar tracking would improve or um, prevent osteoarthritis down the road at the patellofemoral joint. It's hard to make this um, com a completely universal reconstruction recommendation. However, I do think the two ligament repair did improve patellar tracking. I'd also think more, more about doing it in folks that dislocate with and greater degrees of knee flexion. Um, the typical knee dislocation, or sorry, the typical patellar dislocation occurs around 20 to 30 degrees of knee flexion. However, during the patient's description of their dislocation, if they were in greater knee flexion, I would think highly about doing an MPTL reconstruction. You also asked the question of whether or not to do it in patients with open physis, the younger patients. I think our reconstruction technique um, used an anchor essentially where the physis would be. So I, I, I don't think our um, technique would be the ideal unless you're doing more of a soft tissue um, repair to the periosteum. There are some um, soft tissue procedures using the patellar tendon strip, um, a medial portion of the patellar tendon, and you can um, take a strip of it and transfer it slightly medial and to recreate the MPTL. Um, so that could be an option in younger patients um, without potentially injuring the physis. And Jeff, thanks so much. Uh, thanks for taking your uh, time out of your busy schedule, especially on a late evening like this, to talk to us about this anatomic and biomechanical study. Any parting thoughts on future directions of lateral patellar instability research uh, before we go? Yeah, so the patellar tracking and patellar stability is such a multifactorial problem. Um, I think a better recreation in the laboratory, adding these different factors one by one to see how how each factor plays in and how, how aggressive one needs to be with these reconstructions. At what point do you go from soft tissue to bony realignment? Um, because each, each additional procedure has additional risk and uh, potential morbidity. And however, at the end of the day, we want appropriate tracking and good outcomes and prevent any further dislocation. And so adding in these different factors, that being trochleidoslasia, femoral version, valgus, and having a, a testing environment that also reproduces the, the mechanism and injury that valgus um, internal rotation of the knee would probably be the best way to further test how to maximize treatment options for these patients. Well, Jeff, thanks so much. Dr. Grantham's arthroscopy article, Media Patella Ligament Reconstruction Improves Patella Tracking When Combined with Media Patella Femoral Reconstruction, an in vitro kinematic study, was published in September of 2020 and can currently be accessed at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Thank you all for joining us and have a great evening.
The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal.